this service as we get into the new year. Our scripture reading this morning is from 1 Samuel chapter 3. I ask you to turn in your Bibles there. If you don't have your own Bible, our ushers have Bibles available. Just raise your hand and they'll bring a Bible to you that you can use throughout our service this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 3. Let's all stand then in respect to the reading of God's holy word. If you would please follow along with me attentively as I read through the word of God aloud and you can listen as I read. 1 Samuel chapter 3. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel and said, and he said, here I am, and ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lay down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord. For your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything 
and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. If you would remain standing with me for a moment of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time that we've gathered here to worship you. you thank, we thank you for another opportunity to wake up, to be alive, and to be able to come together as a church to fellowship, to worship you, and to hear your word. We thank you for this Sunday, for uh, Brian as he comes to speak your word today. We thank you for the word that you've given him. We pray that you'd open our hearts to your truth so that we might get what you intend for us to get out of your word today. We pray that our hearts might be ready and receptive to hear your truth and that your Holy Spirit might open our understanding so that we apply it in our own lives first and then as you would have us live it and demonstrate it before others. Um, Lord, we, we are thankful for the service last week that we had with Crossway. We thank you for your word being proclaimed uh, faithfully there. We thank you for your people that are there and the fact that, that we, have, um, we have fellowship with them and union with them because they are believers as we are. We are both under you and under, under your leadership, and we thank you for that. We ask that you bless that church and, and that you might work in mighty ways in that group of believers, Lord. We pray for our people here, Lord. There are some who are absent today. We think of, of Jackie Hope because of sickness. We miss her ministry um, of prayer, her ministry of donuts and coffee and all that she does to welcome us here. We pray, Lord, that you would bless, heal, and take care of her. Lord, we... Uh, um, so we just ask you to watch over her. We think of Willie and Mickey as they travel, uh, maybe traveling at this very time, back from a funeral from his sister's death. We pray that you'd minister to, to them and pray that you have ministered through them and as they interact with their relatives. We pray that you just continue to uphold them in this loss and that you might allow them to be a testimony of who you are. So. Others who don't know you can, can uh, find their peace, their rest, their comfort in you. We pray for others who have been sick or are sick or not feeling well now. We thank you for, for seeing Mrs. Dick here today. We ask that you to continue to watch over and bless her and the different ailments and challenges that she faces. Um, I pray for a number of people who are, are suffering today. I think of my own wife, Donna, who's not feeling well, that you would just heal her and be with her. Others, Lord, who are suffering through different things and just coughing and different ailments that we often go through. We pray you are our healer, and we pray, Lord, that you would bring healing so that your people can function and bring glory to you. Whether we are sick or well, may we learn to glorify you and give 
give you the praise and, and uh, uh, be good examples of what it means to trust in you, whether we're in sickness or in health. Uh, so, Lord, we pray all these things, that you would guide this service and all that comes from it. And bless Brian as he pre preaches your word. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Our choir comes to us with special music. He is more than wonderful. Amen. I love that song. He is wonderful. And I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I feel like it's been a long time. And I praise God. You know, it's been a good time, but it's been too long. And I praise God that I'm back in here. You know, me and my wife, we went to Indiana. We got to preach there. Praise God. But it's, it's not quite like home. And then we came back, and then we had combined service with our brothers and sisters at Crossway, and praise God for that. But it's not quite like home. And last week I had the uncomfortable situation of coming to a service and not doing anything. <laughs> I never felt that in years, let me tell you. It's not a good feeling. But praise God, we're back. And I thank God for putting the word on my mouth. I thank God for his word. We read through 1 Samuel chapter 3. And I suppose the first part of chapter 4, that very first part of verse 1, could be included in there. And when we get to 1 Samuel chapter 3, you read the first verse. And it says, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. And, you know, we come into a sermon where we're doing a kind of standalone sermon. We're not doing a series. And so we can kind of miss the context. But we can miss the context of chapter 1, a family in turmoil. Samuel's father, Elkanah, he had two wives. And those two wives were at war with one another. You got Hannah and Panana. And they're a good family, but they're a divided family. Now, why are they a good family? Here's the thing. They went to the temple every year. They're a wealthy family. That's why he could afford to have two wives. You know, in those days, you know, if you, you couldn't just, you know, just a regular guy on the street is not going to have two wives. It has to be somebody who's makes a lot of money. And you'll note that their family, they make vows to God, and they keep them. But in this family, in this devout family, in this rich family, there's problems. One lady has children, the other lady doesn't. And the lady who can't have children, that's Hannah, she's being belittled by the lady who can't have children. And so 
it kind of centers around the house of God because when they would go up to the temple, that's when the other lady would make fun of her. It's amazing the drama we go through in the house of God sometimes. It shouldn't happen that way, but it does. And it is at this house of God that Hannah makes a vow. She says, Lord, if you give me a child, I'll give him to you. If you give me a child, I will give him to you. And Hannah is a blessed and holy woman because she made that vow and she kept that vow. But you also can't overlook the fact that her husband ratified that vow. They were about to go up after Samuel had been born and the father wanted to take him right then. And he says, she said, no, no, let me wait until the child is weaned. But her husband said in chapter 1, verse 23, do what seems best to you. Wait only until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. Keep your vow. Keep that vow. Yes, husband, I will keep that vow. See, they're a good family. They just had some turmoil. And you contrast this good family that keeps their word to the Lord with another family. So Elkanah has two wives, Hannah and Penanah. And then we have another family. Eli has two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And they're also in a little bit of turmoil, self-caused turmoil. You see, Hophni and Phinehas were priests. And you're supposed to burn all the fat off the meat when you sacrifice to the Lord. But everybody knows the flavor is in the fat. So what they used to do, they used to bring a big old fork and stab the meat out the pot before people had sacrificed it. And why did they do that? Because they wanted the flavor. They didn't care about God's word. They didn't care about God's ways. They were trying to get fat off of God's work. And just like Hannah makes a vow, and she fulfills her vow for her family, and she delivers Samuel to Eli, God makes a vow. I will end this house. He sends a man of God to Eli. He said, Eli, you're a good guy, but here's the thing. Far be it from me to repay with good people who have treated me with evil. You keep on playing around with my sacrifices and my worship and my people and my word, but I'm not something to play with. But Hophni and Phinehas got worse. As the passage goes, they keep getting worse and worse. They first start off with profaning the sacrifices. Then they start sleeping with the ladies who minister to the temple. Eli rebukes his sons, but it says his sons didn't listen because the Lord desired to kill them because he was so angry with them. And finally, a prophet gets sent to Eli, and you get this general picture. 
The word of God is in chaos. The word of God is in chaos. Why would I say the word of God is in chaos? Because there's not a lot of prophets in this time. This is the time of Judges. In the whole book of Judges, there's only two people who are noticed as being prophets. And Eli is not one of them. And in a time when the prophets are not fully working, the priests are the people that people look to for the word of God. But what's going on with the priest? He's corrupt. He won't deal with the problems in the priesthood because the problems are being caused by his own children. And people have to ask this question as we lead into chapter 3. Where will we find the uncorrupted word of God? And that's when we get into chapter 1. I'm sorry, verse 1 of chapter 3. It says, now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. The word was rare. People didn't hear prophets. There was no school of prophets at this time. And Samuel is just a boy. He's about 12 years old. Ministering under Eli. And there was no frequent vision. In other words, there was an urgent need for God's word because the priesthood wasn't giving them direction. This is the time of the judges where it says everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And we could sum it up and say this, the people's only spiritual leadership was a corrupt priesthood. There was a deep need to hear from God from men of character. It's one thing to hear about God. It's a whole other thing to hear it from men of character. That's why sometimes I can't listen to gospel music. Because it don't come from men and women of character. It come from men and women chasing profit. It's just a difference to me. You know, I hear the song God's Grace and Brother Cliff sing it. It means so much more to me than if Kurt Franklin sing it. And I don't hate on Kirk Franklin. He may even be saved. But I don't like how he's living. But I know how Brother Cliff lives. And you see, Brother Cliff lives that life, and so that song means something to me. When my dad preaches the word, it means something to me. Because I know how he's living. But when Eli preaches the word, how much does it mean? It don't even mean nothing in his own house. So how much deep root could it have taken? And so then we get into the next part where the Lord calls Samuel. It says, at that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. It's late night early morning. Think of it like 2.30 in the morning. How do we know that? Because it says the lamp had not gone out, and the lamp was lit overnight. It didn't quite go out until the morning, okay? So, you know, in the past, I used to think that this happened earlier in the night, but that's not the case. It's going before the dawn. They're all asleep. 
Then the Lord called Samuel. He said, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. The first call shows that Samuel is an obedient and good child. He says, here I am. He's reporting to Eli. And he runs to Eli. Because as we learn in verse 2 and 3, Eli is old and he might need some help. He's an obedient and a good child. But he mistakes who calls him. In verse 6, the Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called a second time, and he learned that Samuel is a good and obedient child. He says, here I am, running to Eli. He is excited to be able to help Eli. Even though he wakes up in the dead at night, he wants to help this old man because the old man could need some help. But there's a problem. He did not know the Lord. He didn't know the Lord. Now, Samuel had been ministering in the temple all this time. And it says the word was not revealed to him. The word being revealed, in other words, the word is what we must believe plus a personal communication. See, unless the word is revealed to us, we have no true knowledge of God. It's not just the facts of the Bible that need to be communicated to us, even though those do. And it's not just a relationship with God. It's both of them together. We need to understand the true doctrines of what God teaches, but we also need to have this relationship where God communicates with us. And if we don't have that, we can confidently say, you don't know the Lord. And if we don't know the Lord, we're left in a simple state of running to what we know best. We might be good people, but we won't be saved people. And there's a lot of good people in hell. A guy called Samuel a third time. He says, here I am. And he runs to Eli. And it says, then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. He said to himself, you know what? This is no coincidence. Nobody is awoke. Everybody's asleep. I'm the only one here. And this just is not like Samuel to be bothering me in the middle of the night like this. But for Eli to perceive that, he had to believe that God could speak to a child. Eli had to have faith that God would speak to his people. And Eli 
tells Samuel something. He says, go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. He says, obey me and obey God. Obey me and obey God. There's a divine calling in the divine order. When we follow God's order, we'll receive a blessing from God. And I know, I know what people say. Well, you know, there's exceptions to this, Brian. You know, I'm a wife, and what if my husband want to lead us in the wrong direction? I'm a child. What if my parent tells me to do something wrong? I'm at school. What if my teacher commands me to do something evil? But what happens is we start thinking about the exception, which leads to skepticism, which leads to the world we live in now, where every time you turn on a Disney movie, every Disney princess is disobeying her father. Because people think of the exception, not the rule. And the truth be told, you will be blessed if you follow God's order. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Wives, submit to your husbands in the Lord. Obey your leaders in the Lord. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. But too often, we're thinking about the exception instead of the 99.9% of the rule. And somebody's going to come and say, well, you know, if the leader is doing the right thing, I'll follow him. But is Eli doing the right thing? I think we can all agree that Eli is not a good leader. He might have a good heart. but he's not a good man in the sense that God wanted him to be. But even following an imperfect man, by following God's order, there's protection. And you know what the protection is? The protection is, God, I follow the authorities that you appointed in my life. And I have faith that you will lead me in the right way as I follow your divine order. And if at any time you don't want me to follow that divine order, you will explicitly let me know. But if I don't know that, I'm following the authorities you appointed in my life. Whether that be my pastor, whether that be my boss, whether that be my husband, whether that be my parent, whether that be my teacher, whether that be that police officer, I will follow the authorities in my life because they are appointed by me. And they don't have to be sinless for me to follow them. So when Samuel goes to Eli, he's not wrong. And when Eli directs Samuel, he's not wrong. In fact, Eli is very wise in this passage. He says, go lie down. And when he talks to you, say, speak, Lord. 
In other words, show willingness to listen to God and give a verbal assent and say, your servant hears. Volunteer to be a service to whatever God might say. You know, in this vacuum where God's word needed to be heard, God called a boy. But that boy needed guidance to listen to what God had called him to. He needed Eli. And so then God calls a fourth time. The Lord came and stood. Now, how are you going to stand unless you're a human person? But the Lord stands. And he calls, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. He calls Samuel by name. It's interesting to me, God's call, because he calls Samuel by name, but he calls him for the benefit of his church. Just like he calls us, doesn't he? He calls us individually for the benefit of the body. And Samuel says, speak for your servant ears. Samuel now knows who's calling, and he responds accordingly. And he gets the privilege of hearing God speak. So the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel of which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I will declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Five main points. First one is, this is going to be newsworthy. Mm-hmm. Everybody going to need to know this. Number two is, I will fulfill what I spoke against Eli. I'm going to fulfill my word. Number three I told Eli I'm punishing his family. And why am I punishing him? Because he knew and did not stop their blasphemy. The fourth thing is, this cannot be atoned for. This is set in stone. And then the fifth thing is kind of not explicit, but is this. This is a message for Eli. Look at how many times he says, this is a message for Eli. I have spoken concerning his house. I declare to him, therefore I swear to the house of Eli that this cannot be atoned for. These five points are delivered to 12-year-old Samuel. There's a few things that we should know from this. The first is this. When God speaks in prophecy, he doesn't say something new. He only reaffirms his current word with more detail, explanation, or clarity. The reason I say that is because somebody going to leave here. Somebody in the world going to leave their church, and they're going to hear from God. They're going to say something new. And the moment they say something new, you can identify that as a lie. Why? 
because God's word is established. Unless what they provide to you is something that is verified by this word, it is false. In fact, what Samuel hears is not any different than what the man of God already delivered in chapter 2. And what the man of God delivered in chapter 2 is not anything different than we find in the law of Moses. A great man once said that the prophets, all the way from Isaiah to the end of the Old Testament, never say anything new. They only give specificity to the curses and blessings that we find in Moses. They take the law, they find where it's broken or when it's adhered to, and they point out a blessing, but they just make it specific to who they're talking to. So if somebody come out with a new book and they saw an angel, you can deny that. It's something new you didn't hear before, you can deny that. But if somebody says, I heard from the Lord and this is what he said, Exactly what he said in the book of Revelation, chapter 2. Hey, I read the Lord was speaking to me, and this is what he said, just like he said in 1 Corinthians, chapter 3. I'm going to give that some credibility. Because God is still speaking to his people. But when he speaks, he reaffirms his word. The other thing I want to point out is that this is a message of judgment, and this is Samuel's first prophecy. Who wants that to be their first message? Who wants that to be their introduction to the world? And you know that great privilege that you have to be called to be a prophet? Wow, that's amazing. What's my first prophecy? It kind of reminds me of Isaiah's prophecy. Isaiah was called into heaven. You remember how inspiring that scene was? It said, holy of holy, Lord is holy. He said, man, I'm a man of unclean lips. And then they clean his lips. And the Lord says, who shall we send and who will go for us? And Isaiah is just filled with inspiration. He says, here I am. Send me, Lord. And God is like, amen. Thank you, Isaiah, for volunteering. Here's your message. Speak and they won't understand. Write a picture, draw a picture, they won't see it. How, how long will I do this, Lord? Until the holy tree becomes a stump. Amen, go do it. That's my ministry? He speaks to Ezekiel. Ezekiel, I'm calling you. I'm calling you to be a watchman. And you know the number one principle that I'm going to give you? Oh, inspiring words, Lord? No. Uh, um, a message of hope? Uh, <laughs> no. I'm going to make your face hard so when they attack you because of the message that I'm sending you, you can withstand it. But nobody's going to listen. All right? But I still want you to preach my word. All right, go. 
Hey, Jeremiah, Lord, you calling me? I'm just a youth. It's fine. I, I knew you before you were in the womb. I knew I was going to call you to be a prophet to the nations. Uh, here's your first message. Babylon is coming from the north, and they're going to destroy this kingdom. Now go. Hosea, here I am, Lord. Hey, marry that woman, that unfaithful woman. What? Yeah, yeah, that, that woman. It's okay. She's going to be a good example for you to preach about. Y'all dream of being a great prophet. But who wants the burden of being a prophet? John says it was sweet as honey when he ate it, but it was bitter in his belly. The truth of God's word is sweet to take in. But the message is often filled with judgment and woe. And God calls Samuel and delivers the message of judgment. He says this, my house will be clean. You know, I almost get it like my parents used to go on a date night. And they would say, when I come back, this house better be clean. And sometimes the house wasn't clean. And guess what? We all be lining up on the counter with our hands on the counter getting a spanking. Because our parents was not to be played with. Now, I know a lot of people, they have parents and they don't give them no consequences. We didn't have that in our household. We didn't do what, God, what, what our parents told us to do. There was definite consequences, which made it silly that we didn't do it. I don't know why we play around with that. But that's how we was. We was ignorant little children. But it's amazing to me that many people play with God when God always keeps his word and God always holds people accountable. Don't play with God. Now, in verse 15, it says, Samuel lay until morning. He didn't sleep. He opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. I know they had to break his heart. Because here's the thing. When he says, Samuel, my son, he looked at Eli like a grandfather. He loved Eli. And he didn't want to have to tell him. I will note that his relationship with Eli has now changed. In the beginning of the chapter, he was running to Eli when Eli didn't even call him. Now Eli did call him, and he doesn't want to go. But he still goes. He's an obedient and good child. He says, here I am. And he didn't want to tell Eli, but Eli has to teach Samuel a second lesson. He first taught him how to hear God's word. Now he's going to teach him how to deliver it. He says, what was it that he told you? 
Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. He says, what did he tell you? The facts. Don't hide it. You got to confront your fear if you're going to be a prophet. If you're going to speak words of truth, you have to confront your fear. And then he says, you're going to be judged. You are now accountable to what God has revealed. Now, I read some commentators and they said something like, well, Samuel didn't really have to tell him. Yes, he did. He did have to tell him because the message was for him. What would be the point of Samuel keeping that to himself? God even said in the prophecy, I declare to Eli. And it just goes to show you, even scholars sometimes don't carefully read God's word. But Samuel speaks to Eli. He didn't hold anything back. And Eli says this, this is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. He's saying, yeah, yeah, that that sounds like God. Amen. He's sovereign. He's going to do whatever he wants to do. You see, Eli ratifies what Samuel heard from God. And into that sense, I can say, amen, Eli. And Eli says God is sovereign. And to that sense, I can say, amen, Eli. But Eli frustrates me. Because Eli is so settled with God's word and so settled with the judgment, he doesn't do anything at all to try to prevent it. And in that sense, he's an imperfect character. He's got a frustrating acceptance. But here's the thing. He was appointed by God to teach Samuel, and he taught him well. He told him well. It's frustrating to watch Eli. And Eli, to me, man, he's such a complex character. In fact, the book of Samuels, all the book of Samuels and all the book of Kings, they are filled with some interesting characters. These are not one-dimensional men because these are real men. I think movies could be made about Eli and Saul. Don't get me started on Saul. That's an interesting dude there. But Eli is imperfect. But God appointed imperfect Eli to teach Samuel the first steps to being a man of God, that he had to deliver the truth regardless of how his audience might feel about it. And then Eli heard it and said, amen. And that's tough. That's tough. And after this, it says Samuel grew. And the, word, the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Samuel grew. He grew in both age, right? He's 12 at this passage, and he keeps growing. He matures in both age, but he also matures in the word. And all Israel knew. It uses that expression. It used a lot in the Bible from Dan to Beersheba. 
In other words, saying from the whole north to the whole south. It would be like me saying from Maine to California. Everybody knew that there was now an uncorrupted source of the word of God. It let none of his words fall to the ground. In fact, at the end of Samuel's life, Samuel could stand in front of the people and say, hey, can anybody say I've wronged anybody? Can anybody say I've taken a bribe? Can anybody say I stole something? They said, no, you ain't never did that to us, Samuel. You've never done us wrong like that. Could Eli say that? Eli couldn't, but Samuel could. At the beginning of the chapter, the word of God was rare. But now we see God is constantly revealing himself to Samuel. And Samuel is also the one that is responsible for the school of prophets. Remember, as Saul receives his call to be a king, there's a school of prophets that's just roaming. Where'd they come from? Samuel taught him. Because Samuel made it in his heart a desire that there would never be a time when the word of God was rare. And from this school of prophets, Elijah came, Elisha came, all these different prophets came. But they all can say to themselves, thank God for Grandmaster Samuel teaching us this stuff. And this all leads to victory. I know you can read chapter 4 and 5 and you can see a lot of defeat. You can see that the people, even though they knew Samuel was established, they still kept relying on the old system. Oh, they brought up Hophni and Phinehas with the Ark of the Covenant, and they lost. And they sat there and probably thought to themselves, God lost, but God didn't lose. God showed he was a victor. Even when the Ark was Covenant was captured, he showed up in the land of the Philistines, and he still won by himself. He made the idols bow down to him. He plagued his enemies, so much so that they had to let God go. They said, hey, man, we're going to tie him to a cart and just put some animals on it, okay? Put some cows on it that just gave birth and put their babies behind them and put Israel in front of them. And then if God didn't call, if God is really doing all this stuff, then the cows will lead away from their babies, which they're never going to do, right? And take the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel on their own and follow the right roads and all that stuff. But if they turn around and get their babies, then we'll know it's just a coincidence. Them cows started crying, but they went right up to Israel. And when the ark came back, Samuel said, listen, if you're going to turn to the Lord, you got to give up these idols and worship the Lord only. He held the people accountable. He led, that eventually led to a victory over the Philistines. And that leads to a few points of application here. I like to call these the golds. In other words, these are the things that prick us a little bit. It's this. You can worship and not know the Lord. From this passage, we can know that. You could come to church. You could pay attention. You could write notes, and you may not know the Lord. Another one is that the Lord gives us a message of offense and judgment. And sometimes it will not be as well received as Eli received it. But there's also some encouragement in here that God will speak to his people. That God calls us by name. That God will uphold his word. 
This passage confronts some evil thoughts that can be in our mind, such as thinking that anything can stop God's message, his purpose, or his mission. You might think that churches in America are corrupt, and that might be true. Well, God will raise up churches on his own. You might think the priesthood is corrupt in chapter 3, and it is. But God will raise up prophets who will challenge the priests. In fact, the whole Old Testament could be considered to be the priesthood rises and then a war between the prophets and the priests because the priests are always doing wrong. Even through the time of Jesus, who did he get killed by? The high priest. Beware thinking you have a monopoly on God's gifting and service. Imagine if Eli tried to stop Samuel. He wouldn't have been able to. He would have been a lot like Saul later in the book. Sometimes you have to accept that somebody has a better gifting than you. And that's okay if it's for the good of God's people. Beware thinking your service equals faith. Mm -hmm. Samuel had been ministering in the temple for years but he wasn't saved. I want to appeal to the youth in this passage. I want to talk to the Drews and the Daniels and the AJs, Ethan, Jordan, Alex, all the children. I want to look at all of you guys and say this. You could be around the church, and it's good that you be around the church but that doesn't mean you know God. But you can learn to obey him and fulfill your purpose. I look at somebody like Elijah, he's looking at me paying attention. Praise God for you. God could be calling you. Malachi, praise God for you. God could be calling you. Jada, Alex, where's little Alex at? Oh, he down. Oh, he down. Caleb, Owen, it's all right. He's in the right place. But God could be speaking to him. God could use him better than he could use me. Look at Breon. Look at him. He's a good old heart. I love that boy. He's a good boy. God could be calling you. That don't necessarily mean you're going to be a pastor, but that means you should be faithful. God could be calling our children. More than just being in Christmas programs and Easter programs. I'm not saying that's bad. But could he be whispering in their ear? Saying, Ethan, Ethan. Could he be whispering? And could it be incumbent on us to guide them on how to respond to that whisper? Somebody guided me when I was just a boy. And I have not turned away from the faith since. I want our children to put themselves in service to God because you're not too young. Samuel was called when he was likely 11 or 12. But I also want you to confront your fear. You know, every time you get to sing in front of people, that's a chance to confront your fear. Every time your classmates or your contemporaries do something against God's word, 
That's an opportunity for you to affirm God's word. I don't want you to be like the cowardly adults that we often see who are afraid to say God's word and truth because it might cost them something. But lastly, I want you to look at this word and see how beautifully God puts together his word. Note in verse 1, there's an urgent need. But then at the last part, God meets that need, doesn't he? The word goes from rare to frequent. It goes from no prophet to an established prophet. No source of God's word to all Israel knew. Look at that second section where the Lord calls Samuel and then that second last section where Eli calls Samuel. Eli guides Samuel to listen to God's word, and then Eli guides Samuel how to speak God's word. Samuel thought Eli called and ran to him, but in the last part, Eli did call him, and he was reluctant to go to him. He went from excited to fearful. He did not know the Lord in the first part, but then the word had been revealed in the second part. But I think the main part of this passage is about the word of God. The Lord reveals his word. It says Jesus, because it looks, it says he came and stood. He uses human descriptions to explain our God. Jesus came and stood. And he called Samuel by name. And it was so important for him to deliver his word that Jesus came down and spoke. Just like he spoke in the Gospels. He spoke to Samuel. He said, Samuel, hey, Samuel, wake up. But when Jesus delivers his word to us, we have to be careful because he holds his church accountable. He calls on men to proclaim his word, and he's speaking to us today the same way. He might be saying, Charles, Charles. Now, no brother Charles going to say, here I am, Lord. Here I am. But he's calling on us to repent. Because just like he holds Eli accountable, he will hold all of us accountable. And none of us will escape his judgment. It says the Lord is described in the book of Revelations as having a sword that comes out of his mouth. And it is incumbent on all of us to pay attention to that word. To recognize that we will be held accountable for everything we say, everything we do, everything we think. Because he will return and set things right. So I pray that this word will be an encouragement to you today. That you would understand that God speaks to his people through his word. And he affirms his word by appointing men who can deliver his word, men who have good character. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We pray that you bless us to be encouraged to deliver your word, to encourage the deliverance of your word, 
to encourage us, to guide our children to be those who deliver your word. And in your name we pray. Amen.